I will glory in my Redeemer. Um, We get the privilege now of hearing another testimony of somebody who wants to be baptized this morning. And just as we were talking before the service began, Christine made the comment, all glory to God. No glory to anyone else, just to God. I'm going to ask Christine if you'll come up here and join me and share your testimony of God's saving grace in your life. Good morning, everyone. Um, I was a sinner, and I'm still a sinner. Um, but the Lord is in my heart now, and I've um, I followed the Lord Jesus Christ. As I said before, I went to uh, the path of self. I chose the path of self. I went my own way. I was very willful, very independent, very, very headstrong. I did not like to be told what to do. I would say that I would buck like a bronco. And um, like I said, I had bought a book when I was young. On a family trip, we went to Kmart, and I went off to the book section. The Lord has always been there. He's always watched me and watched me go astray, but he was always there, um, keeping me from going too far off the path. And for that, I'm very thankful. But I bought this book called As a Man Thinketh. So it's kind of like the book The Secret, And once again, I thought, this is it. This is how you do life. It's right here in the book. You just have to focus on the things that you want and attract them. You know, like attracts like, the power of your will. You just have to think about it hard enough, and you just got to push. And like I said, I pushed very hard, and I got a lot of resistance back. It was kind of like trying to push an elephant, you know. Sometimes I would have a little success, but many times not so much. And I would just get knocked down. You're young, you get back up, you're resilient. Eventually you get knocked back down again. You get back up, you keep going. And eventually you get a little bit tired and you think, man, there's got to be a better way. So many, many stories of my willfulness and how it got me into trouble. Um, For me, the battlefield was at work. I was always coming up against authority figures. Authority figures tell you what to do. And I did not like to be told what to do. Um, So one night I was in a situation, there was a job that I had that was especially tough, and the boss was very unkind and uh, very disrespectful, and I would buck like a bronco. But at night I would go home and I would listen to the radio, it was the Station of the Cross, and there was an apologetic on there and I would listen to him and I just loved it, I loved listening to him. And um, I eventually changed jobs and um, it happened that my schedule changed, and when I went, went back to listen to this man, they had changed the programming and he was gone. So I moved up the dial to um, the Mars Hill Network. So I was evangelized by, by the radio, the Mars Hill Network. But the Lord works in magical, mysterious, exquisite ways. And um, I got a job working for a man in East Syracuse. He's actually here today. And this is how the Lord's worked in my life. This man is a Christian. And he would talk about Christianity on the job, and I would ask questions, and, and um, he asked me, you know, are you interested? Do you have questions about Christianity? Maybe sometime we could set some time at work. He said this. Maybe sometime we could set aside a little time, and you could ask me your questions. And so we did. We prayed. It was very natural. And... Um, you know, other things happened in my life. The Lord brought my husband to me and, and let me believe that I was a child of God and that he does love me and wants me to be happy. So um, 
I found my way. The Lord found my, you know, the Lord brought me here. I listened to the pastor, and um, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, the Lord has worked, um, you know, miracles in my life. I'm no longer that willful person. Um, I'm an obedient person, and um, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thank you, Christine. Um, Christine and I first met via email. Um, she sent me an email. She said, I drive by your church often, um, and one day I was driving by the church, and I was listening to the radio, and I was told that I needed to um, work on my walk with the Lord. Um, can you help me with that? I mean, that's a pastor's, like, best wish. Yes, we can help you with that. So um, we communicated again with Christine, and I shared the gospel message because I didn't know where she was, uh, and she responded, and I invited her to church the next Sunday, and she walked in, and she's uh, been faithful ever since. And so uh, it's our privilege as pastor and deacon to recommend to you, Christine, for membership. That would be our motion. Do we have a second to that? Oh, Steve was very quick on that. All right, Steve Rofe is the second. All those in favor say aye. Aye. Opposed, the same sign. Motion carries. So again, pending baptism, Christine will become a member of Calvary Baptist Church here in Preble. Thank you, Christine. You may be seated. Again, we want to welcome all of our visitors here this morning. If you are a first-time visitor, never been here before, we would encourage you to fill out the visitor card on the bottom of the the bulletin, the connection card. Uh, It is perforated, so you can uh, go ahead and just tear that off. Drop it in the offering box uh, by the back door there as you go out, uh, and we'd love to have a record of your attendance. Um, we also want to uh, thank you for enjoying and participating with us in this special service, this baptismal service that we are uh, having this morning. And you know, God knows what he's doing ahead of time. He knew that today was going to be Eva's celebration of life, and he knew that many of Eva's family would be here today uh, as part of uh, getting ready for that service this afternoon And I don't think that the baptisms and the testimonies of what God is doing is uh, something that caught God by surprise. I think this is a great day to be able to continue the honoring of Eva's life. Eva was very much a part of this church. Her love for the Lord was evident. Her desire for others to hear the gospel and respond to that was so very clear. Uh, she, she was one of the, I would call her a driving force in, in helping us move forward with the building. She was on our building committee and she was very instrumental in um, our church. And so I think she's rejoicing with us up in heaven on this very special day. So uh, as our day is focusing on baptism, uh, I, I want to let you know, it's, again, you look at the note sheet and say, what's going on with pastor? We got these two short note pages, two weeks in a row. What is going on? Well, um, 
you'll, you'll see that we're probably not going to be much shorter than we normally are, but we do want to uh, respect your time as well as um, those who have come to visit. But we also want to make sure that we're clear from God's Word this morning. We never shortcut God's Word or the preaching of God's Word. So if you would, open your copy of the Scriptures to Acts chapter 2 this morning. Um, we're not necessarily continuing our series on sermons from the book of Acts But we are kind of touching on that this morning in Acts chapter 2. We've already preached about the great sermon that Peter Peter preached in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost to to birth the church, if you will. But this morning our focus is on baptism because we have two that want to be baptized and we have a couple of others uh, in a month or two that we're going to baptize as well. Uh, And so as we focus our thoughts this morning on baptism, I want us to focus our thoughts on the very fact, the truth, that God wants me to know him. God wants me to know him. Now, you'll notice that there's a question mark at the end of the title. You mean really God wants me to know him? Yes, God wants you. Uh, Whatever your name is, you fill in the blank. God wants you to know him in a very personal way, in a very real way, so that you have a personal relationship with him. There's a time in your life where you remember confessing your sin before God and asking Jesus Christ to be your personal savior. That's the truth of everybody who's ever been born again. There has been a time in their life where they bowed their heart and they bowed their head before Almighty God and said, yes, God, I am a sinner. I know that, I know what, what behold, I know what awaits me, I know what I deserve, and that separation from you in a place called hell, and I want to accept the work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary as my only and all-sufficient way of being reconciled to you. And if you've never done that, then let me ask you and encourage you to hang around uh, for after the service and speak to somebody. There are a, a lot of people in this room this morning that would love to help you, me included, uh, do business with God. God and come to know Christ as your personal Savior. But um, if you're here this morning and you've trusted Christ in your sa- as your Savior, you have the privilege and the opportunity to rejoice with us this morning in what God is doing. I'm excited about what God is doing here at Calvary Baptist Church in Preble. Last week, we added a family to our membership, uh, the Higgins family. Uh, we're looking at anticipating a couple more baptisms, uh, and I know there's others who have not yet expressed the desire for membership, but have been around for a while, uh, and maybe you're thinking about that, and you'd like to do that. We'd love to ha- help you out with that, or perhaps there's others still I know that there's a lot of young people who are talking and thinking and wondering, should I, shouldn't I? Let me just say, yes, you should get baptized because that's God's command for you. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, he has no questions. He wants you to be obedient. He wants you to follow him in the waters of baptism. But as I said, I gave this little uh, devotional or talk this morning the title, God Wants Me to Know Him. So if you're here this morning and you don't know him as your Savior, he's knocking at your door. He wants you to understand that today is the day of salvation. God is interested in you. Let me encourage you not to leave this place this morning without putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, or at least having a conversation with somebody about trusting Jesus Christ. Can I tell you this? God already knows everything about you. You might say, oh man, I can't, I can't get saved because that means I have to tell God all about me. No, he already knows it. He's already got it figured out. He knows what your life has been every step of the way. And you know what? He sent his son to die for you. He wants you to know him. 
He wants you to be reconciled to him. He wants you to be in a right relationship with him. Otherwise, we wouldn't have celebrated Easter last week. Jesus came. He died on the cross. He took our sins in his body on the tree. He was buried, and the Father was pleased with the holy, righteous sacrifice of his son, and he raised him up from the grave. He's alive. He's seated at the right hand of his father. And you know what the next thing is for him? For when his father says, Jesus, today's your wedding day. Go and get your bride. He'll come to the clouds. He'll catch us up in the air. And we shall meet with him and be with him forever in a place called heaven. What a grand and glorious thought that is. But that can only happen if you know him. And he wants you to know him. That's why he's made it so possible for us to have a right relationship with him. Now, don't panic that I said to you, God knows everything about you. He knows everything about you, and he still loves you. It's kind of like your spouse. You know your spouse probably better than anyone else in the world, and you know what? You still love them. My wife still loves me, and I still love her. Even though we know as much possible about each other as anyone else could know, we still love one another. And God is so much greater than any spouse. Not to, not to make light of that relationship, but God loves us even more than our spouses could ever love us. We sing a song around here sometimes um, going way back to the 80s. It's a Steve Green song. The words go like this, like this. Every day they pass me by. We don't sing the verses. We only sing the chorus. Here's the verses. Every day they pass me by. I can see it in their eye. Empty people filled with care, headed who knows where. On they go through private pain, living fear to fear. Laughter hides their silent cries. Only Jesus hears. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. At the end of broken dreams, he's the open door. People need the Lord. When will we realize that people need the Lord? You see, that's a, that's a call for you and I to be on the lookout, on the watch for people who need the Lord. And so we should be willing always to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. The song goes on to say, We are called to take his light to a world where wrong seems right. Wow, is that a commentary on our world today? Called to take the light where wrong seems right. What could be too great a cost for sharing life with one who's lost? Through his love, our hearts can feel all the grief they bear. They must hear the words of life only we can share. You see, we have the message. We have the truth. We have the good news. And if we're not willing to share that with somebody else, who will? Only those who know Christ as their Savior can tell others about Christ. People need the Lord. At the end of broken dreams, he is the open door. This morning in this room, there are folks who know Jesus Christ as their Savior. I could ask for a raise of hands to see who knows Christ as their Savior. And probably most of the hands across the room would go up. But I also believe that there's probably people in this room this morning who don't know Jesus as their Savior. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands either. Okay, But you know in your heart, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you know if there's been a time in your life where you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. 
Those who know Jesus as their Savior came to know him because God made himself known to them. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I'm going to tell you this. It's not because Jesus hasn't made himself known to you. He has in many ways. And the reason that you don't know Christ as your Savior is because you're choosing not to. You're choosing not to accept the free gift of salvation of Jesus dying on the cross. But you can. Scripture tells us that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see, it's always been God's desire to make himself known to mankind. Throughout history, God has been doing this. He's been making himself known. The greatest thing that he has ever done to reveal himself to mankind is to send his son. We celebrate it every year on December 25th. We read about Jesus coming as a babe, wrapped in swaddling clothes, and laying in a manger. And we read about the fact that the virgin birth is what brought Jesus into the world. It had to be a work of God. Never before, never again will there ever be a virgin to conceive and bring forth a son. The importance of that was that Jesus had no sin nature because he's God in the flesh. God sent his son. You know that famous Bible verse, probably the most quoted Bible verse in history. John chapter 3, verse 16. If you know it, say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We know that. We see it posted at football games, underneath the goalposts, and on the sidelines. And it's, it's all over the place. But we shouldn't stop with verse 16. Verse 17 and 18 also communicate the gospel message in a very real way that reminds us that God sent his son for a very specific purpose. Verse 17 says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. John goes on to write, he who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. Why is he condemned? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten of the Son of God. Because he has chosen not to know God through his Son, Jesus Christ. Those that gave their testimonies this morning have told you about their salvation, their story about how they came to know and to understand God's revelation of himself through his Son. How they came to understand that God is real, that God is concerned about their eternal well-being, that God wants to have their, them reconciled with him. And I just want to take a few minutes um, this morning to review what's necessary for anyone who is uncertain about their salvation. I mean, Brandon testified this morning. He sat in church service after church service after church service and went to Bible college. And still didn't know Jesus Christ as his Savior. I'm not preaching this message to cause you to cast doubt on your salvation. If there's been a time in your life where you remember asking Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior, God doesn't take that away from you. We call it eternal life or everlasting life. That is the case. But if you're uncertain, you need to take care of that. You need to make sure that you know for sure that you are on your way to heaven. There's only one way to get to heaven. You understand that, right? And that one way is through Jesus Christ. It's God's way. 
Christine and I were talking last Sunday, or no, it was Wednesday, um, and we heard her testimony, and we talked a little bit about the fact that she struggled with this being only one way. Why would God only make one way for salvation? She never could understand that. I said, I said listen, here's, here's, a, here's something that might help you understand why. I said, y'all know I'm a sports nut, right? I love, sorry, Jim, I love the Yankees. And at least they're ahead of the Red Sox in the standings. i got to get that dig in now when I can. Um, you know, so we, um, we, we know that there's, uh, you want to go to see a Yankee game or you want to go up and see the crunch play or the crush play or whatever. And you want to you get into that stadium. And you know what? Every time I've gone, even in South Africa, I go to watch the, the, the Stormers play rugby or, or the cricket team play in Newlands. And every time I get there, they ask me for my ticket. And I say, well, I don't want to buy a ticket. I just want to go in. And they say, no, you can't just come in. You have to have a ticket. Why do I need a ticket? Well, because I don't own the stadium and I don't own the team. And when I get there, they say to me, where's your ticket? You see, they do it their way. And I also get there, and you know me, I'm cheap, right? So I want to bring my own snacks. Who wants to pay 10 bucks for a soda? Or, or $15 for a hot dog? It's ridiculous. So I have my bag of stuff, and I, and I get up to the gate, and they say, what's in the bag? And I say, it's all my snacks. And they say, you can't bring them in. Why not? Because we have a concession here, and you have to pay for it. Well, that's not fair. I want to do it my way. And they say, too bad. If you want to do it your way, leave. You're not welcome here. Now, God's not quite that abrupt. But he says to mankind, if you want to come into my heaven, there's only one way. Dr. Luke tells us that way in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. What is the way? Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. You see, if we want to go to heaven, we have to do it God's way. We have to, and that's not that big a deal. If I want to go golf, I haven't golfed in years, but if I want to go golf, I show up at the golf course and I, and I bring my stuff and they say, okay, uh, you, have to have a, you have to pay, you have to pay green fees. The first time I golfed in South Africa, I showed up with a non-collared shirt and I had my bags on my cart and I walk into the clubhouse and I say, I'd like to, to, I'd like to golf today. And they say, not looking like that you aren't. I said, what do you mean? Oh, you have to have a collared shirt. I golfed lots of times in America, but when I get to the, uh, golf, the, the clubhouse in, in, in Pinelands, they said, nope, you got to have a collared shirt. They even sold things that would be a mock collar that you could wear. So I had to buy one of those if I wanted to golf. And then they looked at my cart and they said, oh, you can't take that on the field, on the course either. So what do you mean? I've used this all my, every time I went golfing in America, I used this cart. Oh, that's too bad. The wheels are too narrow. You're going to leave ruts in our course, and you can't, use, you can't use that cart. You can rent one of ours, but you can't use that one. All right, so I had to rent one of their carts or carry my club. And the last thing before I could go on to the course is they said to me, uh, where's your sandbag? I said, my what? Sandbag. Where are you from anyway? What's a Sandbag. It's a little bag, a pouch that you fill up, and they have, a, they have a bin of sand that you scoop out the sand, and you put it in the sandbag, and you attach it to your, your bag. And as you're walking the course, every time you make a divot from swinging your club, you're supposed to take your sandbag and fill that divot and pat it down um, before you go on to the next shot that you take. I never heard of those things in all of my life when I golfed before. 
But if I wanted to golf there, I had to do it their way. If you want to go to heaven, you have to do it God's way. And it's not hard. God has provided everything you need to get there. It's all through his son, Jesus Christ. He died. He took your sins upon himself so that you could be reconciled to him. What a great blessing it is to know that our God is so concerned with us and for us that he allowed his son to die in our place. The first thing necessary for salvation is seen in the very first preaching session in the, new, in the, in the Gospels, or I mean in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 42. Would you stand with me? We're going to read together this passage of Scripture. Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 42. If you would read from the screen, that would mean that we're all reading from the same version. Acts 2, 37 through 42. Now when they heard this, they were cut to their heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit." For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Let's ask God to bless our time together in his word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and we are so thankful for the privilege of being here today uh, to witness individuals being obedient to your call in their lives to be baptized. We're so thankful for the word that expresses and teaches us what we must do to be saved and how we can be obedient to you. We ask now, Lord, that you would bless our time in your word together this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So as we see here, the very first thing that Peter says, if you want to be saved, you must repent and you must believe. The message of salvation is repent and believe. Repentance, what is that anyway? Uh, you know, uh, it's actually a military term. And we're familiar with that term. Uh, if, you're, if you've ever been in the service, or maybe even if you've ever been in a marching band, you kind of understand this idea. Repent is an about face. Okay? So uh, you're doing one thing. You're going in one direction. And you know what direction that is before you're saved? You know what direction you're going in? The wrong way. Christine said it. She said, I'm going my way. I'm doing it my way. I have a, my will and my will rules and reigns in my life. That's where you are before salvation. You're walking your way. And you know what your way is? It's away from God. It leads you. All we like sheep have gone astray. And we have led everyone to their own way. So you see, when we're going our way, it's the wrong way. Have you ever gone down the wrong way on a one-way street? Yeah. It's not fun, is it? We, we, we got to South Africa, and we hadn't been there very long. Of course, you know they drive on the other side of the road, right? So we get up to the, we get off the exit. We have, to, we have to do a U-turn to get back onto the main highway. And so here we go. We drive up to the, the U-turn, and 
I look and there's nothing coming, and I, and I make a, an, a, a, a direct left-hand turn, which means what? I'm in the wrong lane. Going over a bridge, no less. Okay? And Barbara says, you're going the wrong way! I said, well, there's no other way to go now. We're going this direction. But you know what? There's cars that are coming towards us, and they're like, you guys are, what are you doing? You're beeping a horn. Hooting the hooter. Sorry, that's what they were doing to us. Hooting the hooter. You're like, you're going the wrong way! And fortunately, we were able to get off because it was like off our exit and then back on the other exit. Very short bridge. But anyway, we were going the wrong way. It's not fun. It's not safe to go the wrong way. It could end up in death. Okay, now when we were in college, we used to do this thing. Where I worked, I worked at a horse farm. And to get to the horse farm, there was this one road that was one way. And my roommate always, and I, we always thought it was cool to go the wrong way on the one way because it was very short and, you know, nobody's going to catch us. Anyway, um, it, it wasn't quite that when we were on this four-lane bridge going the wrong way trying to make a turnaround, a U-turn. And, and that's the other thing. When we try to make a U-turn our own way, it usually doesn't work out very well. We got to make sure we're going the right direction. So as an unbeliever, you're walking away from God and God is working at your heart. The Holy Spirit is prodding. The Holy Spirit is convicting. The Holy Spirit is saying, hey, you need to trust Jesus as your Savior. And then there's that moment in time when we do trust Christ as our Savior and we make an about face. We repent. We stop going our own way and we start walking towards God because the Holy Spirit has done a work in our life and now he is drawing us to Christ. Repent. We must repent. Repentance involves a change in life. In fact, it involves a three-way change, if you will. First of all, we see that repentance is a change of heart. It's a change of heart. We need to get rid of the old stony, ungodly heart and have it replaced with a God-honoring, fleshy heart that the Holy Spirit can work in. You see, the one that does not believe that Jesus is God's Son... He doesn't believe that God paid the penalty for our sins and, and thinks that eh, there's no consequences for sin. Those that just believe Jesus is a good man, they have a hard heart. They have a heart that is not sensitive to the thing, and they might not even know it because it's not necessarily a feelings-oriented thing. It's a fact. We're all born with the same kind of heart, a sinful heart a heart that is separated from God, a heart that leads us away from the things of God. And so there needs to be a change in our hearts. Jesus made that change possible. Paul tells us in the book of Romans, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is everlasting life or eternal life from Jesus Christ. You see, that death that we're talking about, it's not physical death. It's spiritual death. It's separation from God for all of eternity. So we want to make sure that we have this change of heart that is brought about and prompted by the Holy Spirit. That we believe that Jesus is God's Son. There also is required a change in the head. If you're around my, my house very long, you'll hear me call my dog Jaunty. I'll say, you're nuts in the head. He's nuts in the head. Now my, my grandson, Josiah, when he comes, he says, Jaunty's nuts in the head. Yep, he is, because he doesn't listen very well. He's nuts in the head. All of us are nuts in the head before we know Christ as our Savior. We need to have a change in our mind, a change in our thinking process. For salva before salvation, man thinks that Jesus dying on the cross, what sense can that make? How does that make any sense for one man to die for everyone? 
In fact, Paul says that's what the world thinks. Paul says that, that the, the world thinks that's foolishness. We read over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 21, Paul writes, For the preaching of the cross, or the message of the cross, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the dynamite, the dunamis of God. For it is written... Um, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. He goes on kind of in a, in a sarcastic way. He says, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Where, has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Through the message of the cross. You realize that the cross was a, um, a, a mockery. It was, a, it was if, you, if you hung on a cross, you were cursed. Scripture says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus became cursed for you and I. The only way for reconciliation to happen was for Jesus to hang on that cross. That's what God ordained in eternity past. We need to think differently to be saved. We need to think that, no, the cross... Is all about God. It's all about Jesus making a way for you and I to be made right with him. We couldn't do it in our own way. We couldn't do it through works, as Brandon discovered. We had to do it through faith and what God says about bringing about reconciliation. So there's a change in the heart. There's a change in the head. And then thirdly, the third part of the change is there's a change in the habits. You see, before salvation, the things we did, we, we could call them the way we lived life, our habits. They were all self-centered. We were always looking out for who? For me, for number one. What's best for me? What's going to make my life better? I was only concerned with how something might benefit me. Not about benefiting others, and certainly who cares about benefiting God? But after salvation, my habits or my lifestyle changed. Look at Acts chapter 26, verse 20, where Paul was giving his testimony before King Agrippa. Acts chapter 26, Paul says this, Therefore, King Agrippa, he's talking to um, a very powerful individual, somebody who actually had in his hands the ability to, deter, to determine Paul's life and death. Okay, And Paul says to King Agrippa, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. What was the vision he's talking about? He's talking about the day he got saved. When he was on the road to Damascus and God broke into his life and he heard the gospel and he trusted Christ as his Savior. He says, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles, here it is, that all should repent, turn to God and do works befitting repentance. If you are saved, your habits will change. The things that you do will no longer be self-centered, will no longer be me-focused. They will be God-focused. They will be God-honoring. Let me also add here that there are many that believe and teach that we need to do certain things to get to heaven. Not only is there a change of actions to get saved, but there's a change of motive as well. We don't work to get saved we work because we are saved. We do the things that we do after salvation because God has changed our hearts, changed our thinking process, and now we do the things that we do to honor and glorify him, not to get right with him, because nothing we can do will make us right with him. We do good works because it's 
what God expects of us. I love the verse in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We know verses 8 and 9 because it talks about how we get saved, faith and grace. But verse 10 says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. What? Unto good works. That we should do them, that which he's prepared beforehand. God prepared the good works he wants us to do in eternity past. So think about this. If you don't do those good works, who else is going to do them? He prepared them for you to do because you know him as your Savior. It's a proof that you are born again when you do the works he's called you to do. So we want to be doing the good works not to get saved, but to show that we are on our way to heaven. So we repent. We must repent. And then in Acts chapter 2, verse 44, we must believe. It says, and all that believed... Uh, were, were part of the family of God and they were following the things of the Lord. Verse 41 tells us exactly what they believed. It says they received gladly the word, the apostles' teaching. And you know what the apostles were teaching? If you go back to Matthew 28, Jesus said, teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. So the apostles were teaching the people in Acts chapter 2 the things of God, the things of Jesus, how to be right with God, how to be reconciled to God. Believe. What do we believe? We believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus did die on the cross for my sins, and that Jesus is the only way for me to be right with God. And so we confess and we repent and we believe. But I want you to understand something. I want you to understand the costs. I want you to understand that believing what God says about His Son may cost you dearly. You see, becoming a child of God may cost you earthly friends. People that you used to hang around with, that you used to do the things that were normal for unbelievers to do. And now you are convicted in your heart and you don't do those things anymore. And, and your friends from the past might say, well, you're no fun anymore. I don't want to be with you. You're, you're, you're a killjoy. Forget you. I, I can go be with other people who like to do the things that I like to do. It might cost you. It might even cost you family. You see, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, sometimes your family that remains unsaved, at least for a point until God might do a miraculous work in their heart, they laugh at you. They scoff at you. They, you, know, you go do your church thing. You, you go be who you want to be. I'm not, it's going to have any impact on me. I don't want to do that. It's not me. It's not who I am. It might cost you at work. Uh, I, don't think, I don't think we'll give that person the promotion because... They're always talking about God. Make my life uncomfortable. It's, you know, why can't they just be quiet about that kind of stuff? Well, they don't understand that we've been called to communicate the truth, that we've been called to communicate the message. You know, when Peter preached this message on Pentecost, many that were there faced great persecution as a result of trusting Christ as their Savior. We were talking with Christine earlier about baptism and, and how when you got baptized, they didn't have a nice tank in, in the church. In fact, they didn't even have a church building. They met in houses. They met in, in, by the riverside. Uh, and when you got baptized, you got baptized in the river. And you know that in the river, uh, the river was already cut out the way for the people to walk and travel on. So the road, the main road, often ran alongside the river. So when you were getting baptized, there would be people going by on the road, and they said, oh, look at so-and-so. There must be a follower of that Jesus person. Because that was the only reason you got baptized. 
Wait till, I, wait till I tell so-and-so about that. Wait till someone else finds out about it. You see, when you got baptized, you were, you were taking a stand. You were saying, hey, I want to be a follower of Jesus, the one that they just recently crucified. I want to follow him. And I don't care what anybody else says about it. I'm going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Because they believed, they probably faced unwarranted uh, persecution, not just from friends and family, but even from the government. The government wasn't sympathetic to the cause of Christ. So we understand that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that the message of salvation is about repenting and about believing. We also see in our text this morning that the message of the gospel is a specific message. It's a specific message. Now, those of you that know me, you know that I'm a, I always am looking for the deal. I always want the best price. I always want to find out, how can, I, how can I get a better deal? I mean, the lease is coming up on our car. We're going to have to turn it in uh, in a couple of months. So I'm out there now looking and trying to find out, what car do I want? I've been told I don't want another Kia because the people steal them like crazy, so don't get another Kia. Um, uh, so we're looking at a, a couple of different vehicles, makes and models, um, and we're trying to figure out, what do we want? So, but, but you know me, I'm driven by the deal. Where am I going to get the best deal? Um, so I'm looking for that. Options are all out there, but I hate to be pressured. I don't like to be pressured. I, so I went, I stopped in at Royal uh, Subaru the other, uh, probably a month or so ago, and I, and I walked in, one of the ladies came up and she said, can I help you? I said, well, I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm kind of wondering if I should have even come in here today. She says, what do you mean? I said, well, I said, number one, I said, I'm not sure that I'm going to do anything for a month or two. I don't have to do anything until July. So I don't want you calling me. I don't want you sending me emails. I don't want all this being hassled. You know what they are, right? Yeah. No hassle, no razzle-dazzle. Okay. She said, nope, I won't call you at all until you tell me you're ready. I said, okay. So she showed me a couple of things. And you know what? I haven't heard from her again. Way to go, Royal. Anyway, I don't want to be pressured I don't want to be forced into making a decision that I might regret later on. Or finding out that, oh man, if I would have went to Romano, I could have got a better deal than I got at Royal. So I'm going to do all of my homework before we make this decision. That's not the way it is with the gospel. You don't have options. You only have Jesus. When we go up to Messina to visit my mom, we always get in the car and start out on Route 81, and then when we get to Watertown, we have to make a decision. Do we want to stay on 37, or do we want to get on 11? 37 stays along the river, runs up there, depending on weather. That might be a very scenic way to go. Um, if the weather's not so nice, we usually get on 11, and we head up, and then we get to Canton, and we take 310 to 56, and 37 goes right into town, right into Messina. But, you know, sometimes you want a little change. I mean, if we really wanted to change, we could actually get on Route 11 right over the hill here and go all the way up to Canton and then cross, but you know, options. We have all these options. Maybe in a couple of weeks, I might be able to ride a motorcycle to Messina because I'm looking at, uh, at doing that. I don't know that I'm going to be able to convince my wife to go with me on the motorcycle, but anyway. Um, you see, there's options. I can choose which way I want to go there. I can choose how I want to get there. I mean, I could even be really brave and decide I'm going to hitchhike. Well, that's kind of stupid, isn't it? But if that was the only way and I needed to get there, I could probably get there doing it that way. But with heaven, 
I can only get there God's way. I can only get there through the specific means of Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, Paul says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Uh, you want to get to heaven? Make that decision today. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Don't look for the better deal. You know why? Because you won't find one. It's not possible to find a different way or a better deal. It's a very specific way, and it's through the shed blood of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. There's no other way. I also want you to understand that the message of the gospel is not just a special message, but it's a seasoned message. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, in other words, it has stood the test of time. It's not a new way. In fact, it's the only way. It's always been the same way. It's tried, it's tested, and it's true. And you know what? The gospel message accomplishes the exact same thing today as it did when Peter preached it on the day of Pentecost. It accomplishes the exact same thing today as when Paul preached it to the Philippian jailer or to the seller of purple. It changes lives. It introduces them to the one true God. It helps them understand that Jesus is the way. You see, today I'm telling you the message that I trusted over 50 years ago will work for you today. If you're here this morning and you're separated from God and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can confess your sin before Almighty God you can ask Jesus to be your Savior. And you know what? The same thing that happened to me over 50 years ago will happen to you today. You will be transformed from a, a follower of Satan. You might not realize that that's who you're following, but that's who you're following. You can be transformed from a follower of Satan, a person who does it your own way, to a follower of Jesus Christ. By praying and asking Christ to be your Savior. It's a message that goes all the way back even before the cross because the message was still the same. You must believe in the Messiah. Who's the Messiah? Jesus. Jesus came and offered himself as the Messiah to the people of Israel and they rejected him. People that reject Jesus today will have the same fate as those, who, as those Jews who rejected Jesus as the Messiah. They will be separated from God. And if they don't trust Jesus before they die, they will be separated for all of eternity into a place called hell. Not a place that God created for mankind. It was never meant for man to go to hell. Why? Because God says, I want all to be saved, not willing that any should perish. You see, when a person goes to hell, it's because they chose to go to hell. They chose to reject the means that God has provided what does that mean for you and I today? Well, it means that we should be busy telling others. We should be communicating the gospel to others. We should be telling them the good news of Jesus Christ. And you know what? If you communicate the good news with others, you could be the tool that God uses to bring them to Christ uh, for all of eternity. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, a very important passage of Scripture that talks about how to know Jesus as your Savior. It says there, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Who do we have to believe on? We have to believe on Jesus Christ. The song I referred to earlier says, people need the Lord. It went on to say, we are called to take the light into a world where wrong seems right. Verse 2 ends with this question. When will we realize that we must give our lives for people need the Lord? Are you willing to be one who takes the message of the good news of Jesus to other people? What a great privilege it is. When you and I repeat the message of God's grace that brought us to salvation, someone else may also come to salvation. I tell people, why, why do we have to give our testimonies in front of everybody? Well, there might be somebody sitting in the room that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, and they say, man, if God can do that in that person's life, they must be, he must be able to do that in my life too. Yeah, we have a story to tell, and we want to tell that story of salvation to as many people as God allows us to do that. We tell the old, old story. And it's the old, old story that brings the good news of God's salvation. This morning we've been challenged as much from the testimonies of God's people as, as we have from the pages of Scripture. These are who are desiring to be baptized, to be obedient to the Lord. They've responded to the Scriptures that speak of Christ's sacrificial work on Calvary. There was a point in time where they prayed and they asked Jesus to be their Savior. If you're here today and you need to do that, Please don't leave before we let us help you do that. We'd love to be the ones that God allows to lead you to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Today's the day to answer that call to say, yes, I want to trust Jesus as my Savior. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been saved, but you've never been baptized. Yes, pastor's going to harp again for a moment. You need to be baptized. Not because pastor says you need to be baptized, but the Bible says if you believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the very next thing for you to do is to be baptized. In the New Testament church time, they got saved and they were baptized and they were added to the church. Kind of like a, all in the same motion almost. We don't do it quite so quickly around here because we moved from where they were in that day to a time of easy believism. So we want to make sure that you know Christ as your Savior as much as possible. We meet with you. We share some things with you. We go over some things from the scriptures with you. Um, and we make sure that you understand why you're getting baptized. Doesn't have to take a long, long time, but we have to do our part as leadership in the church to make sure that it's a genuine decision that you're making but if you're here this morning you've never been baptized and it doesn't matter if you're 10 years old or 90 years old you can still be baptized you can still be obedient to that command that God has given to you don't worry if you don't understand everything about it that's okay we'll help you understand what you need to do to get baptized I remember in South Africa we had a friend who he heard me talk many times about getting baptized and he kept saying to me, Pastor, I was baptized when I was a child. I was baptized when I was a baby. I went to church and they got me all, they sprinkled me, they got, and he would tell me all the time, I was baptized when I was a baby. I was baptized when I was a child. 
You know, the 80s were a great time in the history of, our, of, of my life, I'll put it that way. There were a lot of good things from the 80s. The music was good from the 80s, but there was this one movie. I think if you lived in the 80s, probably everybody watched it. The Princess Bride. You know that movie? Let me, let me play something. I wanted to keep saying to my friend who told me that in South Africa, oh, I've been baptized, I've been baptized. I wanted, to, I wanted to play this for him. I never had the courage to do that. I'm going to play it this morning for you. Go ahead, Timothy. Uh-oh, this might not be the right one. Maybe. No, that's not the right one. Go ahead, T- turn it off. Uh, let me, let me kind of quote it for you. Uh, early in the movie, um, the hero of the, of, of the movie, Wesley, he's, he's climbing up the, the, the cliff, and the, the, the bad guy that we meet early on in the movie, he goes over and he cuts the rope. And he expects Wesley to fall to his death. And Wesley grabs onto the rocks and he's climbing up the rocks. And the guy comes running out and he says, He didn't fall? Inconceivable! And then the guy looks at him, you know, the guy, Montoya, he says, You keep using that word. I do not think that word means what you think it means. Inconceivable. Baptism. My friend, I've been baptized, I've been baptized. You keep using that word. I don't think you know that what that word means. It doesn't mean what you think it means. You see, the Bible is very specific about what baptism is. Baptism is not getting sprinkled with water, not to offend anybody. But baptism means to get immersed in water. Why? Because it presents a picture, a picture of Jesus Christ. When you stand in the baptismal tank, you are standing up straight and tall, and the water crosses your body. What do we have there? We have a cross. We have the cross, looks just like that. Jesus died on a cross. It took the death of Jesus to make our lives possible. And then when I say to you, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I put you under the water, what is that picture? It pictures the the death. You're being buried. You're placed in the tomb. Aren't you glad that I'm not going to leave you under the water, Christine? Aren't you glad all of you else, everyone else who's been baptized, you never stay down there very long. You come right back up. And what is that picture? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We are not dead. We are alive. Jesus is not dead. He's alive. To be sprinkled does not picture the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Why do Baptists require, and other fundamental religions, require baptism by immersion? Because the very word means to immerse. So when you say to me, I was sprinkled as a baby, again I say to you, you keep using that word. I do not think that that word means what you think it means. I know what the Bible says baptism means. And if you've been sprinkled, it doesn't count. You have to be immersed because that's God's way. Just like you have to get to heaven God's way, you have to be baptized God's way. So this morning, I want to encourage you, if you're on the edge, should I or shouldn't I? Yes, you should. Because that's what God wants you to do. Because you will be obedient to the call of God in your life.
Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and we thank you so much for the privilege of knowing Jesus as our Savior. We do want to pray for anyone who might be here this morning who does not know Jesus as their Savior, that today would be the day that they answer your call, the call of salvation, that they would put their faith and trust in you. And Father, if there's some who are wondering about baptism or maybe even church membership, that today would be a day that they say, yes, today's the day for me. I want to decide to be obedient to God's command to be baptized. I want to be obedient to the command to join up into a local church and to fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, may today be a day of obedience for the cause of Christ in our lives. If we're here today, we're saved, we've been baptized, we've joined the church, may we refresh our commitment to you to be obedient to your call in our lives. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of sharing the good news with others. Help us to be bold and brave to take that opportunity as it comes our way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we transition from the service to the baptism, um, we are also transitioning in our live stream. So we're going to go from the camera to a phone. Uh, so there may be a, a brief moment where we don't have a transmission, uh, but we want to have a good view of the baptism, and we can't get that from the camera. Mark's going to lead us in our closing song.